Welcome back to the Packy Run Podcast. My name is AJ Lagambina. And I am your co-host, Dan Mayotte. Dan Mayotte. Yes. We're back. We're uh, we're back. We had a interesting night last night, which I think is really all that needs to be said here on the podcast. No one, no one won. Everybody lost. Yeah, we don't want to get into it tonight yeah not 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 on this episode it was just just brutal to watch we want to get into some light-hearted things um and not experience uh dread existential dread In- indeed so we'll just stick with what we know so which is patriots, patriots analysis yep and uh green day album <laughs> yeah we're, you guys voted on insomniac um the follow-up to dookie by green day and um, it's kind of fitting because the, a lot of the, the themes in Insomniac kind of are about dread and anxiety and depression. So, And that is what we probably all feel like after watching a debate like that last night. That's true. We might as well start where we usually start. So, uh, Dan, what are you drinking? Um, since the afternoon, I'm keeping it light. Um, you know, drink a little bit last night but no hangover for this uh, afternoon but no i'm drinking drinking games for either of us so i am drinking um trader joe's pumpkin pie ginger beer um the the local trader joe's near me also sells liquor like trader joe's branded liquor so i do have a bottle of some trader joe's whiskey um uh, that i picked up for 14 dollars but trader joe's has whiskey they have whiskey they have tequila they have vodka but no but no beer or wine oh of course because it's the state of massachusetts i don't know what is with like trader joe's and like how they're able to like get finagle their way around it but they the local trader joe's that i have has like beer wine and liquor at it what yeah i know like i that is like unheard of in Massachusetts. Um, for those who are outside of the Massachusetts area, uh, they have some of the strictest liquor laws because of the Puritans and some of um, who are they? Um, j- just like very Catholic. Um, a lot of blue laws. Yeah. Uh, places closed on Sundays. A lot of dry cities too. Um, yeah. That you can't buy, they don't have any alcohol, no liquor stores, no restaurant can serve alcohol. But um, I guess in Brookline, Massachusetts, which is like down the street from me, the Trader Joe's, they have liquor, they have whiskey and vodka. So, but I'm not drinking whiskey today. Today I am, it is almost three o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm drinking some pumpkin pie ginger beer. It is. 145 in the afternoon uh and actually just before we started recording this podcast i was talking to my cousin patrick who mentioned that one of the most beautiful things about being an adult is sometimes it's the middle of the day and you don't have much else to do and you can just crack open a beer (laughs) and that inspired me to sit back during the recording of this podcast and drink the champagne of beers miller high life 
which it, it, it's Miller High Life. We don't even really need to get into it. But I will say of all the beers, I really do like their branding. Mm. I like the kind of like diagonal strip that they use to put, you know, all the information, the champagne of beers and the kind of scripty font. So yeah. It's a, it's a great looking beer. It leaves something to be desired on the taste sometimes, but what do you want for nothing? That is true. I have that in my fridge too, but I uh, just want to... It's a staple. Just want to what? It's a staple. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's either that or PBR. Yeah, pretty much. So, um, yeah, that covers drinks. Let's talk about uh, this past Sunday. The uh, It does not roll off the tongue at all. The Las Vegas Raiders. Yes. And the New England Patriots. Um, It was a lot closer of a game than what the score would tell. I mean, the Raiders were fighting the whole time. They were fighting um, um, Patriots the whole time. There were a couple uh, key things that definitely I didn't like the looks of. Um, They gave up some big plays. There were some mistakes being made. But ultimately, the Raiders ended up making more mistakes, and that is why we came out with a win. Bill knows how to coach um, and knows how to get those guys ready and prepared. Yeah, it was uh, the first half of that game was a little bit ugly, and then we really started to see some production out of you know the run game and everything else. Um, unusual for Bill Belichick to use up all three of his timeouts so early in the second half, and all because they needed to be used to avoid defensive penalties. Yeah, I mean that was worrisome to see. I I definitely didn't like the looks of that. That made me. Um, that made that got me worried for a little bit because um, usually Bill has a good handle on that and he knows how he knows he knows how to put his position his players in the right position to win and I guess taking those timeouts worked out in the end but they should have already known what position they were going to be at yeah and part of me thinks I know it I, I know it was week three but there is part of me that still kind of thinks that that's what we saw there was just kind of a byproduct of not having a preseason we didn't have the ability to actually you know fully prepare going into this season right so I think that there's I think that and that's going to reveal itself kind of in and out I think for the next couple of weeks will be the um, just some of some of those downfalls that we may not have necessarily seen I mean, those the teams are still trying to get back on their feet and really get into the thick of a season. Oh, so yeah, the the pat the Pats, you know, they're gonna have they're gonna have a couple of stumbles. I think that's just the I think that's just how these things work without a preseason. Um, I'm not super worried. I'm actually, um, especially with all the op outs too. Like we have so yeah. many linebackers and different players who are missing. There's going to be at least a couple missteps here and there. I think that's right on the money. But I'm actually less I'm less concerned about playing Kansas City than I was uh, the last time we played Kansas City. I think I think this is a team that's going to give them a real run for their money, especially considering the fact that uh, Kansas City is dealing with a short week. I mean, that's fair. I mean, I hope for my sake. I hope. I hope the Patriots win um, because they're playing on my birthday first off. So that is, that's something I want. (laughs) Um, Careful. Last time the Patriots played on my birthday, I went to actually see them and they got their heads handed to them. So, um, but I mean, the Chiefs looked good on Monday night against the Ravens and the Ravens are 
I mean, they're probably the second best team in the AFC as of right now. And the Ravens were supposed to be the greatest thing since sliced bread this season, and they just collapsed. They just, they could not, they could not get anything done on either side of the ball. And welcome to uh, Patrick Mahomes' NFL, I guess. Yeah, he's the best player in the NFL right now. Um, What a fun, easy game. (laughs) He does sound like Kermit the Frog. He sounds exactly like Kermit the Frog. But he's younger than both of us, and he has way more money than us. He has more money than we're going to see in our lifetimes. (laughs) Yeah. Absurd. (laughs) I mean, he deserves it. I mean, he's the most talented. He's the most talented quarterback I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, no look throws, scrambling. He's just, uh, can't. Uh, The kid can barely be stopped, which is part of the reason why I think maybe another, uh, maybe our big move before the trade deadline should come from the defensive side. Yeah, I think I think looking at this team currently and the way that we played um Russell Wilson, like we were able to get Russell Wilson out of the pocket a couple times there, but he was able to escape or throw it away. Um that was expected. Russell Wilson is a very mobile quarterback and knows how to manipulate that. Derek Carr is was is not that. And there were no. a lot of moments in the Patriots game where we were trying to get them off the field and we couldn't do that. And I think a pass rusher would benefit this team greatly. Um, able to, We need that person to just get after the quarterback and sack them and not have them go for a big run or just an incomplete pass i want actual sacks yeah i want uh i want chase winovich to get a lot of sleep this week and have lots of dreams about more strip sacks and then make it happen against patrick mahomes and Dietrich wise Dietrich wise with the strip sack in the end zone that was fantastic That that was beautiful that was yeah, there were, I mean, despite the fact this was, uh, of the three games that we've played, I think this was the least fun of the games. This this one felt like a kind of classic Patriots just slugging back and forth with the other team. Um, we do, uh, the, second half of, the second half of the game was clearly kind of more dominant for us, but it felt a little bit more like the past couple of years where we've had to earn everything that we get. Yeah. Um, as there opposed were... to even that loss to the Seahawks was... Right. You know, that that was just fun to watch. And the fact that it came down to less than a touchdown is just indicative of what the team is and the potential that's there. We just need to shuffle around some pieces and we need to make sure that everybody's on the same page so we're not wasting timeouts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely that. Um, I was a little bit worried about us converting third downs this week. Um, uh, let me see, like for third down efficiency we had three for 11 that's not going to win us a lot of games um and there were lots of moments in the game that like forced us off the field um so if we can be a little bit more efficient on those third downs maybe not run it as much maybe we can like pass it there are a couple moments where cam and i appreciate it like he didn't try to go for the extra play he kind of gave himself up maybe a little too soon for some of those for me yeah, I think that's a I think that's a little bit of a byproduct of um, Cam coming into this system. I right. think I think Carolina Panthers Cam probably would have done that, 
I think this Cam is really trying to milk this season for everything he can get. And part of that philosophy is going to involve kind of having to restrain himself sometimes and really be that kind of team player. The downside of doing the downside of swaying too far towards that is that we end up with a little bit less efficiency. Right. Uh, I think the positive really lies in the player and what like watching him be able to come into this team with no preseason and play three games and be really everything that the Patriots need under center. Like it's hard to it's hard to be mad at him about that it's just about striking that balance yeah and i mean for the most part i mean he he did what he was supposed to do he got us the win rex burkhead huge game for him um he was a big (laughs) big part of the offense and i remember seeing all over patriots twitter like people were like oh so like who like uh can the people who wanted rex burkhead to be cut can you please like stand up yeah Let us let us lambaste you, please, because yeah, that was that was a beautiful, beautiful showing by him. Um, he's not going to be the every down back, and I mean, he's he was a good change of pace between like Sony Michelle and also like JJ Taylor as well. That's true. So now it's we've we've said it for a couple of weeks now, um, and I think we talked about it in a similar fashion going into the season. Now it's just a matter of okay, where do we want to introduce a new piece to this? I think it's clear that there's a piece missing. I think there's a pretty good debate as to whether, like, which side of the ball we need that piece on. But I think we are really only a piece away from having, like, an actual threat, at the very least, in the AFC. Right. I mean, I'm excited for this game on Sunday. Um, It's going to tell us a lot. Um, I mean, the Seattle game told us, said a lot that we can compete with, like, some of these teams uh, like a playoff team um can we compete with the super bowl champs and pat mahomes i think we can um i don't think it's going to be a blowout i expect it to be it's going to be a one score game no matter what um i think so um and i think it could go either way i think um it could go patriots it could go uh chiefs i think it will be more of a high scoring game i think realistically i could see like 28 to 31 yeah, that doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility. I think that I think that Kansas City's defense has been bailed out by their offense more often than not. Yeah, I mean, I they mean, have, just look at they have all the weapons in the world. Um, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek uh, Hill, who is one of the fastest people in the NFL. They have Travis Kelsey. Um, they have Harmon. They got. Um, they got the new running back that they just drafted. He he's been great. Yeah, they've there. There's no denying that they've got the most impressive squad on the offensive side of the ball. It's just you know if we can, I think it's going to come down to you know it's going to come down to our offense here. It's really going to come our our defense is. I'm I'm not as confident in their ability to um to stop Mahomes as I am in our ability to make some interesting plays and put some points on the board against the Kansas City defense. Yeah, and I mean, like, it's it's going to come down to who makes the most mistakes, just like any other game. Um, Cam, as long as Cam doesn't turn the ball over, Cam is, like, smart, making smart decisions, and... Um, and I think time of possession, too. Right. It, I mean, we controlled the clock versus the Raiders, and the Raiders were... There were some drives there that they were moving pretty quickly down the, the field. Um, I would expect the Patriots to be run heavy this week as well. 
um look for sony michelle look for maybe james white will be back but i don't know like james white take all the time you need like i know your family is like having a hard time um exactly so family comes first in this in this regard so take care of them buddy absolutely but yeah i think it's going to be it's going to be one of the games to watch for sure. And um, it's also probably worth noting the issues uh, that the Tennessee Titans and uh, Pittsburgh Steelers are going through right now. Uh, it's the first oh, yeah. time this season that we're really starting to see the pandemic hit the NFL. And that's going to be, I think that's going to maybe throw a wrench in the gears um, if it gets too out of hand. Absolutely. Um, Although I, it's been well documented that I don't give a, I don't give a damn about the flaming thumbtack Tennessee Titans. Like if they, if they get COVID, I'm sorry. I don't want anybody to get sick. I'd like, I'm not wishing ill on any individual player, but like if they have a couple of players that are sick and they can't play anymore, I'm not going to be sorry for them. Oh man. Like, <laughs> I just hope it doesn't screw up the schedule and yeah. what hopefully nobody from the Minnesota Vikings got anything as well. Um, I hope that was the third team. I couldn't remember. I know that I know that the Steelers were involved. I know that somebody well, somebody the, in the facilities. Well, the Titans are facing the, the Steelers this week. Okay, so that was the question, was whether or not that game was going to be able to go on. It was the Vikings and the Titans where that became an issue. Okay. I think as we're talking, it's been postponed from what I believe, from what I have like read. Huh. Um, they also, the NFL is coming down hard, which they should on this. Um, they're threatening suspensions, a forfeit of draft picks um, if you don't like wear your masks, which like a lot of... The coaches, head coaches, have been fined already for not wearing their mask and... Again, or not wearing it correctly. Or Looking not wearing it correctly. Yeah. Like, Bill, come on. Just. I mean, he's he has that subway money now, so... <laughs> That's love, true. I love seeing those commercials. I love the, I love the gifts that have been made. Um from the commercial itself and then subway also released a few as well there's that that man's a national treasure <laughs> yeah yeah he is. <laughs> uh, cutting, cutting the sleeves off the dude in the shirt he's like oh, the, you uh, look better <laughs> you look better he like taps him on the arm and just walks off i mean bill bill never looks good <laughs> that's right that's right up there with uh that's right up there with like Jake from State Farm and uh, and uh, the AT&T girl, Flo the Progressive girl, J.K. Simmons doing the farmer's insurance commercials. Like Subway should just keep bringing Belichick back. Yeah. I love that idea. <laughs> I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, yeah. Any Anything else in NFL news? Um, nothing that I can think of at this moment. Um. Yeah, like hopefully we get a good slate of games this week and they actually go on. Um, congratulations, pivoting here. Congratulations to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, um, yeah. The, the least shocking Stanley Cup win, I think, in a while. I mean, they were hungry. They wanted it. They were so good last year. And they were just, like I kept saying, they were pissed that they lost in such an embarrassing fashion that they wanted to redo like what they did last year. Yep. Isn't that I who the... Wish- isn't that who like the Bruins lost to? Yeah, it was it was a knockout. It was a knockdown dragout for 
six games, five or six games. And uh, yeah, Tampa Bay came out on top. They were just the better team overall. And you could see it. You could see it for the rest of the playoffs, which I didn't pay all that much attention to, but tuned in a couple of times. They That team wanted it and they wanted it bad. Yep. Um, to no one's surprise, to pivot again, the Red Sox fired their manager. Um, obviously, no surprise there. Like the Red Sox yep. were terrible this year. Um, they were kind of set up to fail this year, from what I from what I saw. They there was no chance that they were going to be good. But also, we expected the hitting to be at least somewhat there. JD and it was uh, not. Martinez never showed up. Nope. He never showed up. Um, and our pitching never had any sort of cohesion. We couldn't, there was no pitching. Yeah. There, there was, there was just nothing going on there for anybody. It was, it was a little bit embarrassing, but I think it's, uh, I think it's in the past. Now we go, we let's find ourselves another manager. Let's take this off season and figure out what to do between now and the spring. Yeah, hopefully we focus on uh, some pitching this year. Um, I think we need to. That's all I can hope for. We haven't had a dominant pitcher since Pedro. I think that's a fair fair yeah, assessment to make. Like we I'm need right with that. we need someone who can actually dominate a game and can bring us a couple W's. Um, there's talks about Alex, Alex Cora coming back. I don't see that happening after all the cheating scandals and everything that happened with that. Yeah, he seems a little radioactive, um, but I suppose stranger things have happened. I mean... You know what I'm pissed off about? I, I have a picture, like a, a an autographed picture from him when he was a player with the Red Sox. And I was like, when I, he became manager, I was like, oh, yes, like, hopefully this will be worth something. And then he wins the World Series and then subsequently gets fired from it. So this piece of paper that I have is worth nothing, <laughs> nothing at all. That's your baseball memorabilia is your stock market. And you made you made a bad investment. Well, I got this as a gift, like probably 15 years ago. I want to say, like, I got this when I was, like, a young kid. Um, but I've also heard Jason Veritek's name coming around. Um, I think that 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 was in the cards uh, a while ago, too. There were some talks about that, and I'm not mad at that idea. I like Jason Veritek. He was a captain. He knows the organization very well. He knows what is expected from the Boston media and the fans as well. And he is a fan favorite. I would not be, uh, I would not, I would not be mad. And he's not controversial. Like, yeah, we've had some, um, fan favorites in the past, like Manny Ramirez, but Manny Ramirez wouldn't be, uh, a manager of any sorts. He's actually, did you, have you heard about this? Like Manny Ramirez is actually trying to get back into playing baseball. Wasn't he playing in like a Japanese league or something? Wasn't that the thing that was going around? He was. And they released him and now he's like back trying to play in like another league the man's like in his like 50s at this point late 40s good luck to him in the red Sox. <laughs> yes i mean good for him um i love manny ramirez that's i mean even even staring down the barrel of 50 he's still manny being manny <laughs> of course he is um i would yeah. expect nothing less and i love him all the more for it oh yes same Anyways, 
we yeah. we uh after talking about some of the sports we're gonna shift to our next segment does it hold up and we asked you on social media it was between um two follow-up al- albums to kind of i would say like two of the most iconic rock albums from the 90s there was pinkerton the follow-up to the blue album by weezer or insomniac um the follow-up to dookie by green day and we saw where 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 in the political realm we have not seen democracy in action we saw democracy in action with choosing what content you guys want to hear out of us so you guys chose insomniac i think it's a good choice it's a uh i'll say that both pinkerton and insomniac are uh i won't say severely underrated but they are firmly underrated well i mean and they are both considered at least in the time that they were both released they were severe disappointments in the eyes of fans and media uh yeah i mean yeah, that's pinkerton that's true. now at this point like in the year 2020 has now been like cult favorite and is now considered one of the best weezer albums of all time but insomniac i would say it there are some people that are like oh like it is better than dookie and it's the best green day record that they have written we're going to explore that. Yeah. Um, so we'll jump in with a little bit of history. Uh, Insomniac came out October 10th, 1995. Like you said, it was the uh, follow-up album to their breakout uh, major label debut, Dookie. Um, it's a, it is, it's Dookie part two. Uh, as far as sound goes, uh, they brought back Rob Cavallo as a producer. Yep. Um, you hear kind of, I mean, that that dookie guitar tone i mean they sell guitar pedals that emulate this guitar tone now it's you know it was it it's still a staple of green day billy joe armstrong still records with uh a lot of times this same exact rig you know it is the quintessential green day sound it's the same three members writing very similar song structures it's lyrically it's a little bit of a departure um and i will say it's a little bit crazy that it's a 32 minute album but there are 14 tracks that is incredible um because like i remember i was like listening to it and i was like oh that's it like I, oh i'm done oh i was like yeah. i was like oh okay that's that's interesting um there were a couple like we mentioned this earlier about or at least i did about how pinkerton and also insomniac were kind of the disappointments and not like necessarily in the fans eye but also in the media like for example entertainment weekly said insomniac does make you wonder about green day's growth though between albums one and four the clash to take an old school example Branch out the guitar crunch to guitar, uh, reggae, dub, and pop. To co- uh, comparison, Green Day sound exactly the same from their first rec- album, albeit to a crispier production and obviously a denigration in the sense of humor. A few hints of growth and fairly microscopic, a tougher metallic edge to the few songs and the lyrics that are bleaker than Doogie's. Yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't so much a um there's a couple of hints throughout the album, uh a couple of little kind of pokes and jabs at, you know, their big major label debut that they had released not that long before. I think it was only like a year and a half between Dookie and Insomniac. Right. Yeah. Um but it was 
but it was not like a it wasn't like nirvana releasing nevermind and then following that up within utero which was just kind of like a giant departure um somebody somebody was trying to compare this album to a neutero and i quite frankly have to disagree with it um full-heartedly yeah it's kind of similar to what we were talking about last week with taking back sunday this is like through my musical like head canon this follows that that like lincoln park style of album progression where the big breakout album is one thing and then you have to follow it up and instead of going with any kind of real big departure you just do the same thing with some tweaks right and in this case i don't think in this case i don't think those tweaks are necessarily better yeah i I would agree with that and knowing what we know now about green day first off they write songs nonstop. they've put out like how many albums at this point in their career um they've put out a new album this year that i definitely haven't listened to um yeah they've i think i think it's fair to say that they've lost it a little bit um but i mean with uh, nimrod right afterwards and then you had warning um and then american idiot which i think that was probably that's the first punk record i think a lot of kids our age have gotten into and i think that's a fair assessment to make well yeah i think the (laughs) i think just the absolute takeover that that album had at that time with the message that it had i think it's really easy for a lot of like i think it's really easy for a lot of like punk rock fucking like lifers to write that album off but i think 2004 to write that album and to have it go the way that it did and to have it resonate the way that it did to be that huge while still i mean it still has the guitar tones from 1994 it's still like it's the same they they really have stuck with the same formula more or less for their entire career oh yeah absolutely this is a this is a really this is a really great example of that on a much shorter timeline than the difference between you know uh american idiot and what was the album after that i think it was 2007 or 2009 uh 21st century breakdown yeah (laughs) yeah Uh, that like they they keep kind of refining the sound in different ways but it's uh like everything is still green day it's very simple songs yeah it's those power chords through those two different martial amps and really i'll say that this uh, this band uh from a drumming perspective has always been really impressive um trey cool kills it every single time he he that's what makes that band i mean and you listen to the early records like you listen to kerplunk it doesn't and then you hear the drumming on dookie they don't even compare it's not the same band yeah it's it's a completely different beast trey cool like wrapped that band like up and made them better i mean mike dirt he is great bass player um i love his little bass parts here and there that he adds to it um makes makes it interesting to listen to and you can hear it it's not drowned out by all the other instruments you the bass is pretty defined in there and then billy joel and his lyricism and rhyming like he loves to rhyme um yeah it makes it he does a great job of coming up with melodies that get stuck in your head yeah so they uh they put out 
they put out this album in the wake of dookie it was uh it seems like at the time it was like pretty well received but it was it was kind of seen as a little bit of a regression um the only song that really is still like a staple of st- of like set lists for the band is brain stew um that's only to get the crowd pumped though yeah because that's a really that little guitar riff just the stuttering is that's that's fantastic songwriting yeah but it's uh but you know the album the album's there it's not usually a uh it's not the first thing that comes to mind for a lot of people yeah absolutely Uh, and i think that's i think that's fine considering how much other stuff this band has um you want to get into the meat and potatoes yeah all right so to start off this record we got arm arma chang shanks Armita- Armitage? 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 Mm-hmm. Armitage Shanks. Um. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a, it sounds like a ridiculous cartoon character. Just Armitage Shanks. Hmm, like a supervillain. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Armitage Shanks, and I'm going to take over the world. Hmm. Um. Um, I mean, as far as openers go... I mean, it's very catchy, very fast, um, very short, and it gets right to the point. There's no mincing words here. There's no fat to it. It's there's no filler in that song in that sense. Yeah, it's just a it's just a straight up. It's a Green Day song. It's fast. It's got that. It's got that kind of intensity. Um, the lyrics are kind of simplistic but it's uh, like everything is really just like you said they're cutting this band really does find a great way a lot of the time to just cut out like cut the fat out and just get right to the heart of the matter yeah they don't and they don't mince words they're like yep this is what we're all about here like that's it like and as far as an opener goes like i think there are a couple better songs on this record that they could have set out and um open it with is it better than either one of the previous records that we looked at as far as openers go i think it's debatable yeah i think that i think that there are some there are some better songs in like the canon of music that could that could overtake this as far as openers go but it it does feel like a if the goal of the opening song on an album is to just kind of like kind of stick your flag in the sand and go this is what this is going to be for the next half an hour it does a pretty good job of doing that the chorus is only two lines which is kind of crazy just i must insist on being a pessimist i'm a loner in a catastrophic mind yep okay so we're going we're going a little bit darker than dookie was with you know the uh, the name of the album is dookie (laughs) i mean a name for poop exactly and then you know the name of the band is green day it's you know (laughs) their their name their name is a weed reference like this is just this is a band that has um it seem lyrically it seems like a lot of this album is kind of a um lyrically is where you see some of the pushback and some of the growth i think for the band where they can easily be kind of painted into a corner in this first part of their existence as just being you know oh they're the they're the band with the weed name and their their album title (laughs) is a poop joke and they write about you know am i just paranoid or am i just stoned and then to come out with this and just to be like straight to the point and um kind of doing that like not emo but just like kind of looking inside of yourself kind of point of view. Um, I guess that is a little bit of a departure for this band. 
Yeah, and I mean, like, it has the classic rhythm and melody that Billy Joel was, like, showcased in many other songs beforehand and afterwards. It's pretty standard. It's pretty much how a lot of Green Day songs are structured, even today. Oh, yeah, it's so funny. Um, so this it's is one formula. of my... Le- it, it is. And it's one of my least listened to um, Green Day LPs, uh, which makes it really funny to listen back to uh, in anticipation of this podcast and to sit there and be like, oh, like, I recognize that riff. Yep, that melody has been used before. Oh, this sounds very much like like a lot of the production on here. Obviously, having Rob Cavallo back and everything else is like, oh yeah, yep, mid '90s Green Day. There are those Marshall amplifiers. Like this is it's a Green Day album for better yeah. and for worse. Yeah, and it, I mean it's not the worst, um, but decent opening to the album. I don't think it's it wouldn't be my pick for the the opener. But coming up next, there is the second track is Brat. Um, Starts off with a little bit of singing before the rest of the band comes in. Um, A lyric that really stands out to me is my parents' income interest rate is gaining higher clout. I'm a snot-nosed snob without a job. Um, I just think that's very relatable even in today's sort of like climate um, where you're dealing with parents that are doing so much far better off than you ever will. And you're kind of like this snot nose, like, like low life kid. <laughs> yeah. And that's the, I mean, there's a reason if there's one kind of overarching theme to this entire album, it's in, it seems like kind of the narrative around this album is okay. This was a little bit of a misstep for the band, which led to kind of diminishing returns as the nineties went on. And, you know, the band was kind of written off until they came back in 2004 with American idiot. But like the reason why this band has this longevity is that ability to just like cut to the chase at least a couple of times on every single album. So the, like, the idea of the idea of this song is that like you were just describing that dichotomy between your parents and you and you know it's very relatable especially for two kids like us where we're trying to like pursue careers in music and things like that which is so foreign to anybody who's tried to climb like a corporate ladder or has worked in more quote-unquote traditional kind of jobs right Um, this is a really good you know minute and 44 seconds i think of just making that point in a song with some pretty simple poetry and big guitar sounds. That's yeah. And welcome to Green Day. What I like about this is it's very upbeat, but like it's dark content. It's like oh yeah, like it it like it's not like a dark upbeat rift. It is a kind of in some sort of way like a sarcastic like happy riff. If that Which makes has any worked sense for every pop songwriter ever is set up for at least a potential hit when they do that happy happy or like energetic music with really critical or emotional like i struggle to say it when i'm talking about green day but quote unquote like deep lyricism with that Mm -hmm. as kind of the backing track every time that's a winning formula i mean yeah i mean look at i mean the first one that comes to my mind is bruce springsteen with like born in the usa that's like a perfect example of that that's like that big upbeat song but with like dark lyrics that are like actually very critical of the united states yep just and everyone just thinks of it as like a f yeah america but it's not it's a at all hmm we're we're kind of messed up here yeah exactly uh which leads us into uh that leads us into stuck with me um which 
This was a, the second single for this album, and I would say this is one of the weakest singles in this whole band's discography. Definitely. It's definitely, it should not it's have definitely been a one single. of the weaker sim- It shouldn't. I, I fully agree. It's just, it doesn't have the, uh, it doesn't have kind of the weight behind it, uh, to make it a single, especially for a band that was, um, fairly established on radio at this point in their career. Um, but you do have to kind of admire the, uh, just kind of the back to basis, like the back to basics punk rock of it all. Mm-hmm. Just the opening line. I'm not part of your elite. I'm just all right. Class structures, waving colors, bleeding from my throat, not subservient to you. I'm just all right. Down class by the powers that be, give me loss of hope. Like a little bit cringy. Yeah. Still showing that this is like at its core a three piece punk band. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, the strong structure in that, that's fine. It just doesn't have, it doesn't have that hook. And I think absolutely like Green Day is really good at coming up with those hooks that, um, you can sing along to. And this doesn't, this doesn't have it as like somebody who works in music marketing. I wouldn't, this would be a very hard single to try to pitch to prospective like publicists or like potential bloggers and other people i mean their name alone would get them press and i think this song kind of rode the coattails of the success of dookie yeah um which we kind of see that throughout these this album they're kind of riding the coattails of the success of dookie and maybe that's harsh to say but i think it's the reality of it all just my opinion yeah they don't they don't really branch out from the dookie formula they just do what they know and maybe it was pressure from the music uh the record label to try to get them to put out more music i mean they probably wanted to fulfill their contract and wanted green day to do what they were supposed to do but like it was just this doesn't feel like a single to me no which leads to um, our next song on it, Geek Stink Breath, which is actually the first single on this record, I do believe. Yep, and it's a uh, supposedly a song about a methamphetamine addict. It seems kind of a kind of apparent, uh, not only because it uses the actual word methamphetamine, but also just uh, the kind of um, drug abuse theme throughout the entire song. It's a again. It's it, it sounds like a B side off of Dookie. It's uh, it sounds like uh, when you come around part two. That's kind of what I wrote in my notes there. Yeah, um, I do like call. the stereo effect to it. Um, I think that is a really cool production standpoint. Uh, but like a lot of albums do that. That's not like something new and interesting that they've done. I just like it when it like when the stereo well. effect. I like the the stereo effect when I'm listening to a record. Like I I think that's really cool. Yeah, and it's uh, it's just a little piece of '90s pop punk, really. Yeah, um, and I mean, like, they, for they, a first kind of, for a first single, it kind of just screams like, yeah, you're going to hear a lot of songs that sound like Dookie, and that's kind of like what I get from it. Um, I wouldn't have used this as a first single. I think it's good as like a second one. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's kind of upstaged by what's to come. But it's a it's a it's a song. It's a Green Day song. It has its place in their kind of um, lineage of songwriting. You can see the progression and where they. It's one of the big themes with this album is that you can see where they could go, but they never they never actually go running towards like 
some of the different song structures or like the rock opera kind of deals um the storytelling that they use later i think part of it was like like how old was billy when the the time of this record was written like i just don't think they were mature enough to like know what they were doing they were still kind of kids in a sense yeah i think they were just kind of they were just kind of carving out their little corner of music and doing what they did at this point which is which makes it a really cool listen to follow up dookie especially knowing what's to come from the band um so it's easy it's easy to see these kind of themes with hindsight being 2020 but i can understand why in 1995 this could have felt like a uh, a little bit of a misstep and i mean like maybe because like sometimes i hate it when a band deviates from a different sound than what they have and maybe some fans like this record just as much as dookie um i just don't think it has the same sort of single power it doesn't have the same singles as dookie though yeah i I would agree um and that brings us into no pride uh, which i mean every every band ever has a song where they compare themselves to a dog especially bands in the uh in the punk rock scene right off the bat just well i am just a mutt and nowhere is my home like, I it's think even I'm, in 95, that might have been a little played out. Yeah, it's still played out to this day. It's one of my favorite songs off the record, though. I will say that. Um, I just think, like, I like the melody of it, uh, and I like the flow. Yeah, and I like the I like the little bit of like fuck you energy that comes with it, where it seems to be it seems to little it seems to be a little bit of like a um, criticism of like the community that kind of pushed green day up and into the major label kind of radio ready world yeah it's uh it's got that it's got that nice little bit of that little bit of kind of dejection in there that i think pushes this to be one of the better songs on the album yeah i mean you better swallow your pride or you're gonna choke on it you better digest your uh your values because they turn to shit kind of like says that that kind of says it all with that exactly they're just they're big now but they don't necessarily want to be the uh they don't want to be they don't want to be criticized for that which i can understand especially especially at that time when this was like the twilight of kind of big budgets and making you know millions and millions of dollars off of music like this like you can't you can't really fault them for going with what they with what they were able to do and kind of perfecting the art of the green day song between this and dookie like so this is a kind of this is a kind of great little like mile post like a little marker in their career of being able to sit back and be like listen like you people all loved us two years ago and your support brought us to where we are and now we're here and you're going to turn around and call us sellouts like what are we doing here yeah which i the whole notion of selling out in punk rock is so frowned upon like every everyone is like frowns upon it in every single sense and i disagree with that yeah you you can't can't make a living off of punk cred you can't pay your bills with punk points punk points don't like buy you food you can't exchange them for like like a car at the dealership yeah clout doesn't actually get you anything besides you know the opportunity i guess to go and make money so you can't keep you can't throw you can't throw your weight behind a band and then as soon as it starts actually making you a living you know turn around and criticize people for doing exactly what the goal was from the outset yeah and i mean 
we'll probably have to get into that more in the song 86. Um, but before we get into 86, it's Babs Ovala. Uvula. Who? Uvula who? who. Um, which is, it's a song. It's I, here. Uh, <laughs> I've got a knack for fucking everything up. My temper flies and I get myself all wound up. It's that it's that quintessential Green Day kind of um, poetry. It's all yeah. about the rhyme. It's all about the... They love the repetitiveness. I mean, I lose myself and I'm all wind up. Like, that gets stuck in your head. Uh, yeah. And all the rhyming and repetitiveness. Um, Billy Joel is really good at, like, structuring his songs that way. Yeah, and the the kind of callback to being wound up throughout the entire song is a nice little bit of like cohesion throughout the entire song. Um, and it kind of like makes you like when I'm in an anxious state, I'm like thinking of things repetitively and over and over again. And all the things that he says kind of gets me wound up as well. Like I lose control, I get myself all wound up. Tensions mount, I fly off the wall, I self-destruct, and I get myself all wound up. It kind of encapsulates what it feels like to be just at home like anxious all the time yeah it's a uh it was a quarantine anthem before quarantine anthems were a thing (laughs) yeah (laughs) it makes it makes sense it's a it's a decent it's a decent song which seems to be like the common theme throughout the entire album it's just like okay they're decent decent but not great i would there's not much there's not much to push it over the edge there's nothing there's nothing there that you probably couldn't have gotten from like every other punk rock band in the 90s it's just the production was a little bit better and billy joe billy joe has like a really good kind of knack for catchy melodies but it's i mean it's two minutes long it's a very short like song they there's not a lot of fat on this song and that i keep saying that i keep saying that phrase but it's so true though like this this album really just it's trimmed in the very sense of like maybe how the songs are i think there are some filler songs on this record that i mean if they probably could have like been without it i mean there's 14 songs on it yeah they just they they cut right through and they keep it going which is again interesting from a band that had already put out like a massive major label debut um to really kind of stick to that just concise here's a song here's another song here's the next thing here's the it keeps going it reminds me a lot of um it reminds me a lot of touche amore actually with the just get to the point write the song put it together onto the next one yeah i would i would agree with that um i would say out of all the albums that we have gone through so far the other two this is the best production wise and everything sounds very crispy on it (laughs) yeah it's rob cavallo does a really good job he has like signature sounds that he uses um or different like subgenres of rock but it's very clear that this is a rob cavallo production i mean everything is yeah like you said crispy is the perfect word it's just it's in your face but it's not totally and completely blown out in that super digital way that would come later it's just it's it's making the most of what he has available to him and the talent that he's working with at that particular time and he does a really good job of carrying on uh especially because when you talk about this album in terms of dookie it would have been really easy to either go with a super super polished like late 90s pop kind of production or for them to regress to more of that gritty kind of uh diy punk aesthetic kind of sound yeah and instead it's just it's right on the money it's there's there's not a lot that you can find 
fault wise in the production on this album yeah i mean it's not like last week's album which if you haven't listened to that episode i would suggest we um talked about taking back sunday's tell all your friends which you had lots of production problems with yeah very much so (laughs) But, but then again this is at this point a more established band and they i mean they put out the big album and then this is the the follow-up to it exactly which usually how it goes next song moving along we have 86 which is essentially a big f you to the whole scene that they were part of beforehand yeah so apparently the story goes that the band puts out dookie and then there was a big um there's a big uh, venue that they used to play all the time in Southern California, uh, which was called 924 Gilman. Mm, that's in San Francisco, Northern California. My bad, Bay Area. Oops. <laughs> yeah, there's um, kind of a difference there. There's a big difference there. Um, but yeah, they basically <laughs> when they when they put out um, when they put out Dookie, they were banned from this venue that had kind of supported them and brought them up uh to where they were now uh so the song kind of deals with the idea of like we were talking about a little bit earlier the idea of being called a sellout and you know what comes what comes when you know the love of kind of a music community uh turns sour on you really quickly as soon as you're successful i mean that's not that's not uncommon for gilman street from what i've heard um they if you sell out or if you are on a major label, they they don't let you play there. They're pretty strict about that. It's Stupid. all DIY, very much so. Um, they've banned Jello Biafro from um, the Dead Kennedys. That's a perfect example of it. But Jello wow. Biafro is kind of questionable in some ways. Um, he has done a lot of questionable things, but they they um are very strict when it comes to banning bands and like they they want to keep it diy which i get it i get that i love the diy scene but also like i i like the way that billy puts it he's like there's no returning to 86 there's no returning from 86 which they started in 87 according to their wikipedia page but like maybe to billy it was 86 which kind of brings it back to like the year that they they founded the band which is kind of funny yeah there's also the the saying like if you're 86 it's when you're kicked out like 86 this i don't even know what the what the origin of that is um but yeah it's kind of it's kind of a funny little middle finger to people that are especially at this point in green day's career like that was that was a venue just losing out on business really like they could have the venue probably could have benefited greatly uh from a band of this stature wanting to play like their their smaller kind of club venue and they turned it away because of you know punk cred or whatever which okay fine but it is kind of it is kind of funny to try and if green day were to play that at this point in their career or now that would be that would be huge like people would be pounding down the doors people would be people would be paying good money and that could be huge business wise to keep a diy venue like that open and instead they decided to sit back and just be like eh no that's it's not what we're about which that's your choice man cool but you're losing out on them checks i mean but like i think from what i have seen and read about gilmore's gilmore street it is a non-profit 
So like they're not making any money as it is. They're just doing it for like the culture of it. I don't know how that's sustainable, but that's also pretty cool. So yeah. good on them. And I it's guess. and it's an all ages venue, which that Two sides is to every story. That is very uncommon in today's age, like an uh, all ages DIY music venue, because most of them yep. are twenty one plus, eighteen plus. So they're still doing their thing. Obviously not during this time, but back in yeah. back in the nineties, Green Day was banned from there for not um, for uh, just selling out. I guess I think this would have been very funny. I think it would have been very funny if this was a single. Yeah, and I would have strongly encouraged them to put this as a single because I think it would have been so funny. And I think it is single material from the way that the song is structured and how catchy it is. I would agree. It's one of the forgotten songs from their discography, I think. Yeah, definitely overshadowed by some of the bigger uh, the bigger hits that were to come or that came before. Um, but yeah. I think we'll move it right along into Panic Song, which is a uh, pretty nice little uh, deep dive into the mind of people who suffer from panic attacks. Yeah, um, I I, w- I think this would have been a better opener in this in the album to me at least. I think it would have been uh, thematically. It could have it could have served that um, it could have served that kind of perfectly. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And according to this, uh, Cool Torn like Trey Cool tore the calluses on his hand while recording the instrumental intro and um in between takes his hands were just resembled a bloody mess i'm not shocked i mean like the, they the, went the drumming, hard on that intro yeah the drumming all over this is we talked about it earlier it's just absolutely insane but it's also a uh it's it's, it's a behemoth a behemoth of a song yeah. um for this band at this time and especially with just that that lyrical kind of consistency and cutting straight to the point and it's just like a nice little um it's a great exploration of two guys billy joe and mike durnt who both kind of went through a lot of anxiety i think with the transition to being like a massive major label band but you know just being rock stars in general yeah and then also dealing with the dealing with like what came just before that being in like a punk band is not um green day is not the best example of this because they just went to insane stardom levels but you know it's not it's not exactly a financially secure route to take as far as jobs are concerned and stuff like it's a i think it's a well-timed song for where the band was at and yeah that 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 instrumental at the beginning is that's i think that's what the song kind of coasts on as a whole but it is it it's worth the listen i love that it is i think it's one of the highlights of this record for sure um better served as an opener but like it also i like how it kind of breaks the album apart like from the first half to the second half of it i agree yeah it's got that it's got that nice kind of um that midway if you were to flip the if you were to flip the the record over right yeah it's a great little reintroduction if you took a break between halves of the album or whatever flip it over you start this this is a great kind of like right back into it kind of song i appreciate that yeah and it's well calculated um i originally said it like i thought the intro dragged a little too long for me but I think yeah. I think it serves definitely a purpose, and I don't I think for what it is, like it's not that long. I would agree. Um, that brings us to uh, Stewart and the Ave. Stewart and the Avenue. 
Um, this is where I, the first thing I wrote was this feels fillerish to me. Um, and it doesn't bring any substance to this record. Yeah. It's a little bit of a, um, it's a misstep. It's a, yeah. A little bit of a breakup song, a little bit of just, uh, you know, they needed, it does feel like one of those songs where you need to, you need to round out the album. You need to have enough songs to make it an LP, especially when so many of the other songs are so short. Um, yeah, it's not it's not my favorite song that the band's ever done. It's it's got it's riddled with cliches. Ripping up a, ripping up a photograph of you. Destiny is dead. Oh man. Seasons change as well as minds. We're all fucked up. Like okay. It's a little it's yep. a little cringy. Like there are parts in this song that like or just parts in this record where I'm just like, okay, we get it. You have anxiety. Like, can we just move on? Yeah, you gotta. Like saying, okay. saying the same thing over and over again or not bringing anything new to the table is, you know, that's that's usually pretty easy to determine, I think. And yeah, they could have they could have cut this one or they could have made they could have made a better uh, a, a better song if they had maybe given this one a little bit more time or something. But yeah, Stuart in the Avenue, it's it's there. It's yeah, I, I don't think, think it, I don't I don't think it like slows the album to a stop or anything like it doesn't really mess up too much of the flow, but it. <laughs> it's eh. it doesn't but i think it you don't need it on a record like this there's already you can you can have a 14 or like a 13 song album and maybe there are a couple other songs on this record that i would probably cut too but that is one that i would that would be in the cut category for me yeah or but then they come back uh or just put it in like the deluxe version of this release like a deluxe version and put that in if you really like it that much and then i can see but it's brought, after this, uh, it's it's followed up by still one of the band's biggest songs, uh, "Brain Stew." Yeah, um, which is a if you go to any Green Day live show, which It'll I haven't se- I haven't seen Green Day. Have you? I have not. But I'm pretty sure both of us have watched Jesus of Suburbia and like Saint Jimmy or like what was that one that was like um that came out with concert DVD? Yeah, Bullet in a Bible. Yeah, that was the, that's it. That's a that's a great live album. I that still is, that's one of the best once live in a while, albums. I still bop that one. That's yeah. awesome. Um, they that's one of the sta- that's one of the best tracks from that live album. I would say. Yep, it's and it's rightfully so. It's just another example of this band when they are able to just when they are able to just cut straight to the point and get they they just get right into it. They have that quick little stuttering guitar part right at the beginning that just goes. It really kind of complements that first verse, and then to have the band drop in with a quick refrain of just like on my own, here we go. It's, it's it's so simple but it's so it's done so well and a lot of bands tried to write like a simple song like this but like fail at it so props yeah. to them props to green day for knowing how to write like a a really good pop song yeah they just did, they did the thing and then this was uh this one just uh bleeds right in it has that quick little segue at the end of the song right into jaded um, um before we go into that, um, there is a fun fact about Brain Stew. So, like, after 9-11, Brain Stew was placed on Clear Channel's list of post-9-11 inappropriate titles. Um, the song is actually about Armstrong dealing with insomnia, but um, it was actually supposed to be called Insomniac, 
And Brain Stew is just a reference to Armstrong's friend, James Washburn, whose nickname was Brain Stew. Where is Brain Stew? E, oh my God. <laughs> the post 9-11 world. <laughs> Which they couldn't. Jimmy World had to change uh, for a while there. Uh, Bleed American was uh, was called their self titled album because you know they de- they decided that Bleed American was too controversial. Like <laughs> that, I think I think both of us were probably a, a little bit too young to really remember any of that kind of stuff going on. But you know, going back and digging into some of the history of alternative music in particular when you start looking into like tipper gore and some of those the like clear channel oh like yes. cancellations just what what were we looking to accomplish it was uh they just wanted to censor everything man <laughs> yeah i'd rather listen to brain stew than god bless america for the first or for the million and a half time like what are we <laughs> this is that that whole era uh especially that for those first couple of years after 9-11 is just me like you can kind of see where people's heads were at and what they were trying to accomplish by doing things like this but then you think about it really critically for a second and you're like that's not in any way productive like people were just people were just living in fear at that time and fully and totally giving into that fear yeah, I mean, there were, there are, I'm like looking at the list right now of like songs that like um, were not appropriate after 9 11. And like some of them are just ridiculous, like Alien Ant Farms uh, cover of Smooth Criminal, <laughs> like is included with that list. Uh, the Beatles, A Day in the Life, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, Ticket to Ride by the Beatles. It's like when people, it's like when, it's like, in this kind of same era uh leading into the 2000s when people were really coming hard after like marilyn manson and slipknot and stuff it's like oh they use they use horror movie imagery oh no think of the children i mean i mean there's been that like forever i mean look at the 70s with alice cooper like no one died from an alice cooper show no one died from a marilyn manson show yeah, it's just like the the complete and utter like fear mongering that happens just because like why does it even happen? What's the <laughs> I don't get it. We're going to we're going to cancel Brain Stew by Green Day in the wake of a terrorist attack. That'll that'll show them. Like, come on. Uh Well, and then we got the ultimate hindsight's 2020 here but like and then in 2004 we had the ultimate like fu to like george w bush and like all of that with like american idiot just a yeah just a massive massive fuck you to that entire kind of system and it's still a thing that happens you know it happens in a we watched it happen in american politics last night too yeah like there's such a weird thing of like the the apparatus around our political uh, around our political system here has so much like whataboutism and decides to go after like the wrong thing. Like 9/11 happens and we're going to cancel Green Day songs and make Jimmy Eat World change the name of their album and we're going to tell people that they can't listen to certain music. Like is are there bigger fish to fry? Like didn't we just have a major attack on American so no, this is how we're going to deal with Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. Like it's- instead of listening to songs that might so happen to mention bullet or 
gun or dust in it. Or in more modern times, we're going to, you know, players are going to kneel on the field because there are racial injustices in this country and we're going to start talking about the military? Okay. Like, that was not the point at all, but that's the conversation that we want to have because why? No reason. Okay. Okay. Well. And I mean, in no way is this song like a protest song of any sort. It's just a song about just not being able to sleep insomnia yeah insomnia. and in classic green day fashion but i like how at the very end of this song like it goes into this big ending i think this would have been a fantastic ending to the record personally but i also like how it transitions right se- into jaded right into jaded seamlessly like i i love when a record does that that's one of my favorite like i don't know like you got like it's one of my favorite tropes or i got a soft spot for that exactly and it's just a minute and 30 seconds of you know green day doing green day things it's it's the exact rock and it's catchy and it's the exact opposite of brains do in a sense yeah um part of my notes i wrote i was like we get it you're going nowhere and yeah like a nine to five really sucks yeah we get it but like yeah also billy have you ever worked a nine to five yeah right like, like was that a thing that would that this band was going through like are you are you just like writing to try to score some punk points to try to relate to to people or are you did True. you actually have that happen to you right and are they actually being authentic and true to themselves or are they trying to play off and try to win some points with people i don't know what it is i mean i'll say with the last two records, you can sense the, uh, with Tell All Your Friends and also the Menzingers, you can sense them being um, very authentic. Some of the parts just feels a little unauthentic to me, and Billy yeah. doesn't know quite what he's talking about. Yeah, I would agree. But that, uh, that brings us into Westbound Sign. Yes, which sounds like a, like a song that could have been on Kerplunk. Yeah, it's just a, it's, it's a very basic okay it's it's green day it's drug use and uh singing about uh singing about girls well it's about his <laughs> wife um moving to california with him so that's cool yeah. um kind of yeah. an ode to her but um i guess for billy it means something for us like i would probably take this one out i don't think it's necessary yeah it just seems like agree. filler to me yeah so i think we can i think we can move right over into uh tight wad hill yes what a name. Um, first thing I wrote was filler alert. It doesn't need to be here. Yeah. It's just, uh, it, it seems a little bit like that kind of um, suburban kid stuck in his own town kind of feel. Um, it just, it just killing time and writing songs about it because that's what you do when you're like a suburban kid. Um, apparently it, it's about, uh, talks about how activities teens once did like getting high are no longer fun anymore. And it's like, yeah, it's kind of like that growing up song. Like, oh yeah, like it sucks growing up and you know, nothing's fun anymore. Yeah, Everything it does sucks. kind of set the it kind of sets the blueprint for Blink One Eighty Two uh, a couple of years later, I think. But yeah, it's it. I would say that this one is filler. The back half of this album does kind of leave you feeling that way. Um, yeah, there's not much to talk about this song. I just there's no substance to it. It just it doesn't add anything. It doesn't. I think it's not necessary. To, and 
it might sound like we're trashing this album completely. We're both Green Day fans. We both like this album. Um, yeah. At least I speak for myself. I don't know about you. Um, yeah. It's. I think it's a. I think it's a decent follow up. It's. It's pretty good. Um, um, we haven't talked about Walking Contradiction, which I love the music video for this song. Agreed. Um, I uh, think, agreed. I think it's it's one of the funniest music videos. Um, in case you haven't lis- like seen that, it's basically all this chaos happening while they're like all walking down the street and they're just destroying a whole neighborhood, which I I think that's hilarious. Yeah, and it's a uh, it's uh, is this one of the ones I think they might still play this every once in a while. I'm not sure, but this was the fifth single from this album and the last one that they released as a single. Um yeah. I would have I would have put this as like the third single. I think it's I think it's a good single. Um put out by the band. Um one of the better ones for sure. Yeah. It definitely, this is definitely one of the singles that still is, um, I'm not sure it still gets a bunch of radio play or anything like that, but it's still, it's there. It's a, it's a, uh, it's another, it's one of, it's one of the great examples on this album of just like great Green Day songs, Green Day doing Green Day things. Yeah. And it like leads, it leaves the album on a high note for sure. Yeah. They definitely, they definitely dropped off a little bit on the back half of the album, but they did manage to end this on a song that is, you know, a great kind of, kind of like I said earlier, it's a, it's a good mile marker for where the band is at, where they can go. Like if they ended this album with Tight Ward Hill, I think I would probably think a little differently about it. Yeah. Um, I would have a different impression but i think that is they they end on a high note they they start on kind of a eh, it has, yeah. this album has peaks and values valleys on it for sure very much so um but and walking contradiction was described as an anthem for anyone who is chafed against the bounds of demographical correct computer coded image concise mid 90s whatever yeah. that means <laughs> i think it's uh it's just kind of a it's a it's a little bit of a narrative about you know what we've talked about earlier like this was a band that was just like a punk band that a lot of people loved and they kind of blew up and now all of a sudden you know after dookie in a lot of people's minds even still today you know people think about punk rock and they think oh like green day yeah like that's i mean they're the so quintessential punk band yeah so coming to terms with that in the form of a song you get walking contradiction yeah and I think they do a pretty good job of kind of defining that uh, throughout the course of the song. So, like we said, ends on a high note for sure. All right, now let's give our final thoughts of this record. The big question. The big question. Does um, it hold up? So for me, this record is Dookie Part Two without any of the major hits. Um, it's very polished production-wise uh, for the time period, and there were there were some clear filler songs on this record. Um, at least two that we can mention off the top of my head with a tight ward and um, maybe West Westbound sign. Of course, that meant a lot to Billy, but I think as a fan perspective and also a music industry professional, it's kind of filler. Yeah. Um, they can't, <laughs> It's funny because like Billy came out and said Insomniac did a lot better than I thought it was going to do from the sound of it. Uh, we knew it wasn't going to sell as much as Dookie. So even Billy knew, yeah, we, we, yeah, we, we, this isn't our best like album. This isn't our best work. 
Um, and I think maybe at the time they were kind of spinning the tires a little bit too much. They didn't really hone their craft. They were too busy. They were touring nonstop. They toured. Yeah. They toured Dookie nonstop. They were playing every single festival possible. Like they paid like Woodstock, like ninety four. I believe ninety four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. And I'm happy that they were able to do that. Um, probably bamboozle in there and like a couple other ones, but they, I think they just were touring too much and it just, it didn't really do anything for the creative process for them. Yeah. I would say, I would say it does hold up though. It's a nice kind of, um, it works kind of nicely with Dookie as a follow-up. It still sounds really good. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's got, it's got all the things that make a Green Day album a Green Day album for better and for worse. Um, and you can hear the bits and pieces that the band would continue using right up until this day. So I think I, I think it does have, um, it sounds a little bit hyperbolic to call it like a classic sound, I guess, but it is, you know, this is a sound that the band still works with and it still sells hundreds of thousands of records every time. Like they do have that definitive sound, um, which a lot of other bands can't really say that they have as far as like guitar tone and everything like that. Um, is it fair to compare it to in utero? I don't think so. No. Like um, in impact or in or in difference of sound, definitely not. I mean, I think Billy Joe Armstrong is a great songwriter, and nothing to take it away from him. But he is not Kurt Cobain or Dave Grohl. Yeah, neither neither of them. But they have their they have their corner, and that corner is pretty huge. So they've they're doing something right. Um, For me, I would say this album doesn't hold up for me at least. All right. Yeah. Um, it's I think brains- it's not a strong holds up, but I think yeah. I think just given everything that came after this and everything else, I think it's I think it does hold up for me. That is an interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. Because <laughs> I would have I would have guessed that you would say it it doesn't hold up. No, it's not. It's not breaking the mold. It's nothing huge. But I think you know this this band could release this album today and it would still be. You know, it would still be a Green Day album. It I mean, they're, still be, they're always going to sell records no matter what. Especially at this point. So, yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right with it. I'll say it holds up. Yeah. I know. mean, um, any other well, final thoughts? to the bottom of it. Yeah. No, I'm good. I think we I think we killed that one pretty well. Um, do we have recommendations this week? Ooh, recommendations. Um, Go watch Jeff Rosenstock's performance on... He did a late night. Um, The older I get, the more and more I relate to Jeff Rosenstock and just his disdain for where this country is going and just how everything is. But he he, uh, performed on Seth Meyers the other night. Um, He performed his new song, Scram. Um, Love his new record. Love that song. It's perfect it's perfect punk music for today's climate and what is going on um and if he can do a performance in a mask you can wear your effing mask too (laughs) true um i also think it's very funny how they green screened the bass player in and they like do some like tricks with that i think that's hilarious that's awesome green screen shenanigans i'm gonna have to check that out um my recommendation this week is a youtube channel called riffs beards and gear uh it's hosted by a guy who calls himself fluff he's from a hardcore band called dragged under uh anybody who's a gear nerd like me who loves guitars and amps and effects and recording and everything 
Um, he just seems like a really relatable down to earth guy. He kind of gets right to the point with a lot of his videos. They're never more than probably 10 or 15 minutes long. And the guy just, uh, it's really informative. It's really cool to watch him break down some of, you know, comparisons between guitars or between effects units or little how to's on recording things and whatever. He's awesome. Go check him out. I'm surprised it's not the latter. Um, the original Vanna lineup. Oh, we'll get there. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm waiting for them to make an actual announcement about the band name and stuff, which I actually know, and I'm very excited. Did they um, Did they release the song, or is it still like no? A they snippet? just put out a teaser. They just put out a teaser on Instagram. Because I've, uh, I've seen that guys. teaser, and honestly, like I wasn't even into like Vanna or that type of music back in the day, and it honestly has me a little a little excited. Yeah, a little curious. A little curious. Awesome. I'm just like, what are they gonna do <laughs> i think they're uh i think what they're going to be putting out is going to be pretty awesome and it's gonna it's going to be new but it's going to be um impressive um what they're still able to do as a unit even though they haven't been playing as a unit for a while so yeah we'll get to that when they actually announce and put up some music and stuff that will definitely be on a future recommendation uh but yeah for right now riffs beards and gear all right so I think I think that's it. I think this is uh, this week's episode of the Packy Run podcast. Yeah. Um, tune in next week. Um, give us recommendations for future records to um, look at. Yeah. Maybe, and see if it holds up. Or maybe we'll come up with another poll and have you guys decide what we talk about. Democracy in action. Follow us on all of our social media stuff. Make sure that you like and subscribe to us on your podcast player of choice. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Take it easy. Bye-bye.